You're listening to episode 60 of the STEM Space. Why should your students come up with more than one idea? Do you use that in your classroom? Or do they just come up with one design and they're done? We're going to dive into how Natasha implements engineering design challenges and something you should consider doing too. Let's start. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, Natasha. Hey, Claire. So you are coming off of another conference. That's right. Tell, Tell me about it. Sure. So I was at the National Science Teachers Association conference, and they have multiple ones. This is their main national conference. This year it was in Houston. They claim it is the largest gathering of K-12 science educators, and it did feel crazy, massive, like teachers everywhere, but it was fun. Have you ever been to this conference? I have not. I've heard it's huge. And when you said that you were going to this one, I was wondering if it was going to be the same as previous times, because you've been before. Mm -hmm. Yes. But that was pre-pandemic. Right. So I was wondering how it has changed from previous years. And there was an exhibit hall, which is always my favorite part of a conference. So I really want to know about your session and what you learned from others. Okay, well, you mentioned the exhibit hall, so let's start there. This is the first, the second, because we went to SEEK, that I've been in person and presented at in person, which is totally different when you're, as we know, virtual and you just don't get the energy and like the reaction Mm -hmm. from the crowd. And so this was a hands-on session and the energy there was just amazing. So going into the exhibit hall, you have like all your big players and science ed and people trying to like pull you in with like crazy experiments and butterflies and all sorts of fun stuff they had a whole there was two people that had these big like net things cages with butterflies I don't know why I didn't stop by (laughs) so the butterflies (laughs) didn't get you that was they did not draw you in (laughs) I want the rockets I saw NASA and I was like that's that's where Uh, I need to go and the moon map that I know you have yes that was on the floor And they had all sorts of really cool demos. And I went to Pitsco, which is really exciting because I had, I just like showed up and they're like, you're Vivify. And I was like, yes, I am. (laughs) How do you know that? (laughs) And she's like, you're in our catalog. And I was like, oh my gosh, I am in your catalog. That is maybe why I'm here. (laughs) And so it's really fun because the Space Club Mission to Moon and Mission to Mars kits are in Pitsco's catalog that just got released last month. So if anyone wants to participate in Space Club, you can buy all our supplies through Pitsco, which is great because before you had to go to like Amazon and Walmart and like buy all this kind of piecemeal stuff. And it's a lot of work, especially if you have a big class and they'll just package it for you. And it's all the curriculum you need and that you can use their solar panels and their straw rocket launchers. And I just Which love them. so much easier to write a grant for if you're an That's educator. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really hard for me to get things that I'm just trying to make up. And then my, especially my admin are like, Now, why do you need this from Walmart? But if you're like, oh, this is education company and I'm buying this kit to do this program, they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, super convenient. I'm so glad that that's out now for teachers. 
yeah, so it was really fun to kind of check that out. But then my session was kind of halfway through the conference, which is like your sweet spot. The last day of the conference, people are checking out, right? (laughs) And the first day, actually, first day is pretty good because it's like high energy. You know, you don't know what to expect. You're kind of setting the standards. So it was like right in the middle. My session was on our really popular Space Lander challenge. I think probably most of our audience has heard this challenge, but Claire, tell them what it is before I jump into it. Okay. So this is where you have a cup with some ping pong balls in it that are astronauts. And you have a platform, which is usually a paper plate or a cardboard square or cardstock square that's taped to the bottom of the cup. And you have to drop it from a certain height, but you don't want the ping pong balls or your astronauts to pop out of the cup, which will happen if you just drop it like I just described. So the challenge is to come up with a design of putting something underneath this platform to slow it down mm-hmm. or absorb the impact to prevent your astronauts from dying. Now, <laughs> we talked about this in a couple episodes ago because you did this with some college students and it went a little interesting. So I am so excited to hear about what happened because you're not, you've not told me. I have not. What happened in your session with these teachers? Recap, engineering students that are senior year level, like systems, electrical engineering, complete failure. They were (laughs) unable to keep the two astronauts alive from two feet, which is like about knee height, waist height. It did not go well. And I was like, my sixth graders can do this. Maybe what's going on? And we were like, maybe they just over-engineered. They over-added everything. All the materials were used, like, right? So we talked about that. So what I changed in this First, I was very, I did this with the undergrads. I was very explicit about the science. This is a science conference. So I was trying to help teachers use engineering design to teach and apply science concepts. So we went through some demos to talk about drag. You take two sheets of paper and you have one of them balled up. So it's a ball of paper and then a sheet. And then you have kids predict which one is going to hit the ground first. And then we do a free body diagram and we talk about the forces acting on the paper is like one way to to teach drag and the other demos you can do with that shock absorption. You all stand up and you jump and then you jump again, locking your knees. And I, it was hilarious to have these teachers do this because they're like, I'm going to end up in the hospital. I was about to say, did did you make them sign a waiver first so that they can't sue you for knee surgery? I should have, I should have, (laughs) but they were just like, the thing about teachers, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, is I am sometimes terrified of them because they are sometimes the worst audience <laughs> because they don't participate. Like they are their worst students. <laughs> this is true. Yes. Do you agree? Yes. I'm a terrible student. <laughs> I'm the one in the back on my laptop. Like, is this worth my time? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so I would, did not want that to happen because I, I feed off their energy. And so I hooked them in with seven minutes of terror. This was right after lunch. We made it movie time. They were like, can we turn off the lights? So we had the (laughs) lights off. They were so into it. And then we did the demos. I kind of gave my background about being an engineer. Okay. But the thing I changed, I did this with the undergrads is start with individual brainstorming, but I had a handout and I had them explicitly connect each of the materials to how they would connect to a science concept. So how would you use the cotton balls? How would you use the straw to increase the drag, to increase the shock absorption? So they had a chance to think that through. And that went really well. 
And then I said, okay, now get with a partner and I want you guys to compare ideas and actually build one of these. So I handed out supplies. So they worked in partners. And I I like partners because then there's not somebody left out, right? Mm-hmm. We've had this experience. Yes. And so they build their lander and they were being pretty successful. And some immediately got the idea that if I just increase my surface area, it's going to slow it down. It's going really well. Well, here's something I changed that I've never done before in a design challenge. Let's back it up to being in real world engineering and you're NASA and you're trying to build a rocket. You send out this proposal, say you're wanting to go commercial route. And you're like, anybody out there, can you give me some ideas for a rocket that can get us to the moon? So then you have Lockheed Martin and Boeing and all these companies pitching their rocket idea. And then sometimes what happens is they'll say, well, we like the engines on this guy's, but we want, you know, the nose cone on this one or we like. So they bring the ideas together. So I tried to replicate that in this design challenge. So they started with partners. They built it and tested successful landers. They all were able to go past knee height. And then I said, now you're going to merge with another team. And only one lander can move forward in the final competition. We had yet to do a competition. So they were just still like small groups. So they had to find another group. And letting go of their initial idea was very hard. I wasn't expecting that. They were like emotionally attached to their design. And you can't do that in engineering, right? Just because you love your idea doesn't mean it's the best. And so I had to like get them out of that. Like they were holding on to it. They're like, no, it's my idea. And I was it like, worked. <laughs> I know, but can it be better? How can we make it better? Mm. So they were forced to have the conversation with another group, another set of another partner and say, okay, I like how you did the surface area, but how can you take my idea of these like landing feet to add to it? And so that's when they started having conversations. And that was really cool to kind of see them bring it together. And that's when we did the final round. And I said, only one lander from each set can go through. So we had four that moved on. They, we started at knee height, they all passed. We started at waist height, most of them passed. Then we go to shoulder height and there was two left passed. We got on a chair. I got on a chair. We were at six feet above the ground and I couldn't get them to fail. And we actually just stopped there. They were so successful. In going through this process, because it was like multiple iterations, and they yes. were forced to use other people's ideas. And so I wanted to see what you think of that approach. I love that. I mean, for so many reasons. And something that I actually discussed with my class yesterday ties into this. But I mean, it's, first of all, it's, it is real world, like that is what happens. And so why have we not done it that way? Right? That's, yeah, it seems so obvious. And let me tell you how I came up with it. I was reading the Next Generation Science Standards, and I was trying to tie it into the engineering practices. And one of those practices is to be able to critique different designs and to be able to compare and evaluate different designs. Typically, when we do a design challenge, you have one idea, and you just modify it over and over again. And I was like, how can I get them to compare and add in features? And we've done gallery walks in the past as like a mm-hmm. way to do that. So you go and criticize or support, <laughs> hopefully, other people's ideas. But it's not as explicit as like, I have two and I have to pick one, you know. And we've done yes. like the catapult challenge. Like they start with two catapults. But this was like different people's ideas and a lot of like 
synergy and yeah. And you have to like discard an idea. Mm -hmm. That's the key. So, oh, that is, yeah. So can you test this with your students? I would love to see how this goes. Okay. So this past week I had a student, we were talking about failure. I've been talking a lot about social emotional learning type stuff, talking about the upstairs, downstairs brain and how we can have use calming strategies to get past when we're getting really frustrated and how important failure is. And then I had a sixth grader that said, why do you think that it's required? Like, why can't, if you just are successful the first time, why is that not a victory? Why do you keep saying that failure is important and not only important, but necessary that you have to fail? And I was like, girl. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And so in the moment, I was just like, well, because I'm an engineer, you know, like I'm telling you this because I'm your teacher and you should just listen to me. Offended, yeah. (laughs) Right. I took it personally, but I was like, well, you know, if you fail, that's like the best way to learn. That's how you can grow from it. But after class, it was really bothering me because I was like that. That's not a satisfying answer. What is what is the real truth about why you need more than one idea? Mm. And so I came across this quote from a French philosopher. I'm going to butcher the name, but Emile Auguste Chartier. And this person says, nothing is more dangerous than an idea when it's the only one we have. And the idea behind that was saying that an idea is like a musical note in the same way that a musical note can only be understood in relation to other notes, either as part of a melody or a chord. An idea is best understood in the context of other ideas. If you only have one idea, you don't have anything to compare it to. You don't know its strengths and weaknesses. And as I was talking to my students about this, I said, how many of you have ever had your family photographed by a professional photographer. And of course everybody has, you know, that's like your Christmas cards every year you get photographed. Yeah, yeah. I said, mm-hmm. have you ever had a photographer that just goes, okay, everybody smile, takes one picture and goes, oh, that was terrible. Oh man. Well, sorry guys. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Or just take one picture in general and be like, all right, we're done. Like that's that what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> They take hundreds of pictures and then you maybe get like 10 back, right? It's because, and you never, never think twice about that and be like, oh, that photographer is terrible. Or, you know, why would they need to take multiple pictures? Well, you don't know which one's best unless you have something to compare it to. So why do we look at engineering design challenges the same way of like, oh, I got one idea. It worked. Well, how do you know that was the best? You have nothing to compare it to. Mm. So not necessarily that failure is what you're trying to seek out so that you know that there's a good and a bad. It's just, you need more than one option. So I I I really love the idea of making that a thing like you did in more, in more challenges. So something that, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, but also I, what I love the most is we typically put students, teachers in these groups, like of three even if it's just two, but three, four, like that's how I ran space club was in these big groups and they would have all these ideas. And that's like, that was the key part of this process was like idea generation and brainstorming. And then that's where I thought you were modifying your ideas and kind of Mm. struggling through that process. And then finally you had this design at the end and that you tested and then you came back and you modified it. 
but that's actually really hard <laughs> to do well. <laughs> As you know, you're all about the brainstorming creativity. And by having them just focus their own brains on some very specific things, like how do I reduce drag? How do I absorb the shock? And when I was walking around, by having them do that brainstorming first and then working in partners, their language changed from even the engineering students. And they were saying, oh, those feet are going to add shock absorption, right? Or the mm. surface area. And like, these are concepts that I had been very explicit about, but the, I think the individual aspect of it helped them kind of grounded in their mind. And then they were more confident in their discussions with a partner. And then those two people as a group were very confident in the big group because they're like, I've done this. I've tested it. Here's my data. Instead of I'm imagining in the original version, someone's like, no, my idea is better. And you're like, how do you know? And they're like, well, drag, like you have nothing to base it off of. But this argument was so cool because they're like, well, mine went three feet high, <laughs> but mine landed more softly. They had data, like this was a data-driven mm. discussion, which is what we've been trying to get into our engineering classrooms. So I've tried it with teachers and I would love for you to try it with students. And if anybody out there is listening, tell me how it works in, with kids because I, I feel like it would go pretty well. I agree. And I will definitely be using that on everything from here on out in the next month. <laughs> Yeah. So that That's was my awesome. experience at NSTA. And I had so many teachers come up afterwards and say, well, let me start with when I first walked in the room, I had one teacher that said, I'm not allowed to teach space. It's not in my curriculum. And I was like, why are you here? <laughs> like, because I love space and I would love to teach about Mars and all the space exploration. And I just want to see what ideas you have. And when she left, I was like, well, what did you think? And she's like, oh, I'm making this whole year about space. <laughs> I kind of empowered her to realize that any concept that she's teaching can be integrated through engineering and through space, whether it's you do plants in space, right, Claire? Like the botany side, oh, yeah. the life sciences. We talked about this space lander was part of a mission to Mars and how you're building a habitat on Mars and how are you going to survive? And the architecture side, the scale modeling. And so I hope they walked away with like, oh, space is pretty cool. Like <laughs> there's just so much stuff I can do. And it's a way to excite and motivate kids and teach really good science. Yeah, I think that's one of our mantras is, oh, you need to teach something? Let's connect it to space because you really yeah. can. So if anybody needs help coming up with ideas on how to connect something to space, we can help you there. <laughs> I love that challenge. I think we've done that before. If yes. like, give me at any topic and I will connect it to space. Yes. I, I really want that actually. So if anybody's listening, please challenge please. us. <laughs> yes. I will find it. I saw a post the other day, one of our uh, former classmates at AM, he takes astrophotography and he took a picture of the jellyfish nebula. I don't know if that's the actual name of it. I should know this, but it's, it's amazing. We'll have to add it in the show notes. But he was talking about how NASA just did some research by sending some moon jellies, which like that's yeah. clever, moon jellies, yes. to into space to see how baby moon jellies react to uh, zero G because they have the same sort of function or something that humans do and being able to tell which way is up and down. And so they wanted to know, well, if how would a person born in space, be able to figure out what weighs up and down once they come back to earth, if they were born in space. 
by analyzing how these jellyfish and then they found these jellyfish when they brought them back had extreme cases of vertigo now how they figured this out i don't know but they were apparently on a scale of one to five extremely how dizzy are you moon jelly (laughs) i just imagine them like jiggling everywhere like (laughs) i mean like how yeah don't they do that normally anyway but i mean things like that that you don't think of how do you study those things well in space (laughs) Yeah, so many, so many things that we can learn from and do. And I love the way that you conducted that challenge as another way to bring in the real world. And Ooh, oh, and man, I have what? to tell you how I ended it. This is like a classic. So we always talk about real world engineering and I showed them, okay, here's the design process that we just went through, identify the problem, so on. And it's, you know, it's, we had to go back and forth. We design, redesign, test, and there's this kind of messy and then I showed them the engineering design process for the Department of Defense. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about that last time. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was hilarious because so anybody listening, if you want to find it, we'll uh, link it down below the Department of Defense acquisition life cycle. It is the chaos. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> like, that's real. Like, that's what you have to use. And so I'm still on the fence on how useful this is to like show kids to about the nature of engineering. But the point is that engineering is very messy and there's a lot of different components. And what we're trying to teach kids is like a very small piece of it. But we hope that it's empowering them to kind of take that lead role and be in charge and apply the science and feel confident. Like there's just so much value to these design challenges. So I feel I left the conference very inspired and just hearing all the stories of how after the last two years of this pandemic and how difficult education has been and that these teachers are still motivated to do, you know, what's right for these kids is just inspiring. Absolutely. And of, I think you can say this every year that it's growing this opportunity for the need for kids to be able to solve the problems that are going on in this world. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially right now with everything that's going on. We have so much opportunity to give the kids real world problems and have them come up with solutions. And the way that you've conducted this engineering design challenge is how we do that. Giving them the tools to not just think of one answer. Something that my creativity professor always says that I have started adapting in my classroom is she never says, okay, what's the answer? Or can somebody tell me this? She always says, okay, what's the next right answer? What's the next right answer? So it's never a, there is one right answer. And I think that's so important. And that's hard for us to ingrain in our, in our minds. There's not just one solution. There's not just one way of doing things. In fact, there should never just be one solution. Otherwise, how do we know what's best? I hope that when we do design challenges, there's never a group of kids sitting there done. Like that should Mm. never happen in an engineering classroom because that means you're not pushing them. That they're for those space lander, go higher. Oh, you you made that you made that uh, two feet. I'm taking away your cotton balls. Good luck. <laughs> that was my favorite thing to do with students. Was like take away their materials and go figure it out. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I usually will promise them a material, and then the next week when they go to build, I'm like, oh, I guess we're out. <laughs> they're like, oh. but that was my plan. Sorry. <laughs> so fun being a teacher sometimes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing, Natasha. I cannot wait to apply what you did in my own classroom. But until next time, STEM space out. 
Thank you.